Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join with me in your Bible, today's text is from the Gospel of Matthew, 26th chapter, verses 1 through 13. So whether you brought one uh, or you're using your phone app or the Bible, a pew Bible in front of you, Matthew 26, verses 1 through 13. Hear with me now the reading of God's holy word. When Jesus had finished saying all of these things, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the courtyard of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth And kill him. But they said, Not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. Now, while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me. For you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring out this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the world... What she has done will be told in remembrance of her. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So holy and loving God, We come this morning to sing our hosannas, to wave our palms, and to be together in worship. We come this morning to hear your word read and proclaimed, and as we do so, may we not just hear the words, but may we be transformed by your words, so that when we leave this time together, that we are not just hearers of your words but doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. I love the rich pageantry of Palm Sunday. There's no mistake about it. I mean, it's a start, you know, it's a kickoff for Holy Week for us. It's the beginning of the end of Lent, but there's just something wonderful about this story. We will recall the story that Jesus tells the disciples, you know, go to such and such a village and you'll see a cult that's never been ridden, untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone says, wait, what are you doing? Say, the Lord requireth it. And then Jesus, they bring the donkey to him and Jesus climbs up on it. And then as the disciples and Jesus, as they approach Jerusalem, word spreads about their coming to town. It's faster than even the news of free Taylor Swift tickets. I mean, like that. And the crowds are gathering, they're thronging the path. 
they're laying their coats down, they're breaking off palm branches and they're laying them on the road and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's a wonderful picture, isn't it? And see, we have the benefit of history, though, don't we? So we know that as we celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus, we know the rest of the story. We know that in just a few days, the Hosannas will give way to cries of crucify him. And while we know this, it's not lost on me that as this was happening, as Jesus was riding in on the donkey, as the Hosannas were ringing, as the palm branches were falling by the roadside, he knows what's supposed to happen. He knows what lies down the road, literally, metaphorically, and theologically for him, doesn't he? And yet with all of this divine knowledge, what does Jesus do? He presses on, heart full of love, eyes welling up with grace and compassion. He presses on. Now, I want us to hold on to that image right there. I want us to take that image and just kind of park it over the side. Don't forget about it, but just let it just sort of hang there with us all morning long. That he presses on knowing what's to come, but with love and grace filling his heart. And then as we look at today's text, we'll begin to realize is this text takes place a few days later maybe about sort of Wednesday, if you will, of Holy Week. And so Jesus tells the disciples that very soon he is to be arrested. Very soon he is to be crucified. Now the Pharisees and the chief priests, of text says, they go out in the courtyard to discuss what to do next about the Jesus problem. And in what is probably the worst secret in all of Jerusalem, they decide to have him arrested and killed. But while this is going on, the disciples are gathered in the home of Simon the leper. And what happens? This woman comes in with this jar of very expensive ointment, and she pours it over Jesus. She empties the entirety of its contents on him. And it sets off this debate amongst the twelve some wonder, should she have done that at all? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? And then others are going, but if she hadn't done it, we could have sold that and given the money to take care of the poor. I mean, Jesus has just been teaching us to take care of the least, the last, and the lost. And in that moment, Jesus helps them clarify the story. He helps her understand that her action, he helps them understand that her action is one of extravagant love for him. And it's in that moment that we realize that the heart of a disciple is one that shows extravagant love. Let's hold on to that for a second, too. And let's think about this word disciple. What does it mean? So I think about this idea of social media, for example. Right now in social media, the goal of social media is to increase the number of followers you have. That's people that will look at what you post, they will read it, that they will like it, they will repost it, they will comment on it. And if you're really good at this, and I don't know what the magic number is of the number of followers, but somewhere along the line, you go from having a lot of followers to being 
an influencer. And if you're an influencer, apparently what it means is that whatever you post, people want to start copying you and they want to start doing like you do and they want to repeat your stuff. And somewhere in there, you can begin to monetize this and make money as an influencer. So let's take this idea of an influencer. Let's think about this in theological terms. See, disciples of Jesus Christ, we are followers. Ones that are called to emulate the practices and the lessons and the qualities of the one we follow, Jesus Christ. And so we begin to think about this and we look at what Jesus' life and ministry was built on. It was built on an entire foundation of extravagant love for God and extravagant love of neighbor. And Jesus calls us to do likewise. To love God extravagantly and love our neighbor extravagantly because Jesus is the ultimate influencer, the penultimate of it all. So then we look at this idea of extravagant. What does it mean? So the definition of extravagant is excessively elaborate, lacking moderation, exceeding limits of reason. That doesn't really sound good, does it? It doesn't really sound good, this idea of excessively elaborate, lacking moderation, exceeding limits of reason, until we put it in the context of God's love for us. And when we put it in the context of God's love for us, that God has this extravagant love for you and me, then it's nothing short of awesome, right? Nothing short of amazing. I mean, God's love for us. Let's think about it. Let's unpack that for a minute. We go back to creation. God created everything in five, six days. And at the end of it, God says to us, after creating humanity, he says, I have made all this for you. I have made all of the world for you. Or we look at what the psalmist says where God, he speaks for God. I have called you by name and you are mine. I will not let the floods wash you away. I will not let fire consume you. I will not let your foot slip. I will anchor it firmly on the ground. You are mine. Or even in the ministries of Jesus, I have come that you would have life and that you would have it, what? Abundantly. Or where two or three of you are gathered, I am there also, says Jesus. Let the children come to me, the healing miracles, or even up to the I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his flock. So as we begin to understand God's extravagant love for you and me, it turns the focus on our lives, doesn't it? We begin to think about what all God has done for us. Are we like the woman in the story today? Are we willing to pour out extravagantly onto God as a response to what God has done for us? Are we willing to pour ourselves out in its entirety by giving our very best by loving God extravagantly? See, our extravagant love for God is evidenced by just how we practice our lives. I mean, think about, so think about sort of what we've been given, all the blessings that we have. Do we return thanks to God in a way that we would call extravagant? I mean, the Bible gives us some definitions that when we think about this in terms of stewardship and financial stewardship to our church. Think about it. Do we give that way? 
Because my brothers and sisters, I think if we lived that kind of math, this church would have more money for ministry than we know what to do with right now. And the fun would be figuring out what we could do that we're not doing. Or think about our prayer life. Do we live extravagantly? Do we love God extravagantly with our prayer life? Or do we fit prayer in wherever we can? And maybe the best we can do is at dinner. And is it something that's really well thought out and really appreciative? Or do we say something like, good God, good meats, let's eat. Is our prayer life an extravagant showing of our love for God? Or our worship life, do we spend time regularly in worship, not just each week in worship here in the sanctuary, but worshiping God as we take a moment to appreciate what we've been given, to praise God for the blessings that we see around us every day? Do we sing the hymns, even if we know our voices aren't that quality? Do we pour out ourselves Do we listen intently? Or think about our time. How much of our time do we give to God? Or we kind of fit God in in the margins where there's enough time here or there. My friends, let me tell you what this is. This whole idea of extravagant love for God, pouring ourselves out for God, it's not a sliding scale like if I do more here, I don't have to do as much here. No, God wants all of us. And that's our response to God's love for us, is to pour ourselves out. Our calling as followers is to have hearts that extravagantly love God even when others think it's absurd. Even when others want to go, gosh, haven't you been to church enough this week? And you go, but it's Holy Week. This is the week that it's all about. So I'm going yet again. It may seem crazy to the world, but to God, it's a true gift. But just as we love God extravagantly, we also begin to realize that our love for neighbor is just needs to be just as extravagant. We can't separate the two. It's not one without the other. It's not an either or. It's a both and proposition. Jesus teaches us to seek out the lost to feed the hungry, to welcome the stranger, to comfort the afflicted. In each lesson, what does Jesus show us? As outlandish, as out over the top as it might be, as fully saturated as God calls us to be, that that's what Jesus wants us to do, to seek each other out. If we want to truly follow him, then we must love our neighbors by emulating Christ. Love our neighbors the way Christ loves us. We must think about this as an idea of an active, practicing faith. Not just what we do here in the sanctuary, but what we do every aspect of our lives. In 1913, the philosophy professor uh, Josiah Royce coined this idea of the beloved community. And the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King in the 1960s, he carried that a step further, developed it further for us to think about in terms of the kingdom of heaven is the beloved community. This idea that love changes folks that oppose each other into friends. This idea that God's love brings about all the miracles that the world needs. This idea that brings about that there should be justice for everyone all across the world. 
See, when we want to practice this idea of extravagant love for our neighbors, then what it means is that disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, that we bring to bear all of our skills, all of our talents, all of our resources to transform the lives of individuals and the community around us for the sake of making a difference in the lives of others. Extravagant love for neighbor is addressing the ills of violence, of hunger, of housing, of education, of mental health in fair and equitable ways so that we lift one another up so that we can all stand before the throne of God with equity and equality. That there's no space at the table of the Lord for each and every person. That we are bound together by the love of God who loves us most. See, I firmly believe that the problems that our world faces can, not may, not might, but can and must be solved by serving God. That they can be solved by pouring out extravagant love upon the world and upon each other. That when we decide that what is good for all of us supersedes just what's good for me. That we begin to have a worldview where we see each other and lift each other up as brothers and sisters, as members of the family of God, and that we pull for each other to win, even if it means that we might come in second for a moment. Which leads us right back to where we are today. On Palm Sunday. On the cusp of the holiest week of the Christian year. So today we remember Jesus' triumphant entry where he comes in on the donkey with joy and love for you and me and for all the world, knowing full well what's to come. Tomorrow, Jesus will go to the temple. He will see the money changers there, how they perverted the temple life and they've, how they've really sort of made it about themselves and not about God. And what does he do? He flips that table over. How many times have we sat at the table that Jesus flips? On Tuesday, he will speak and he will encourage us to have faith, even when things seem bleak. How often have we had faith until life gets tough and then we start to have doubts? Jesus tells us to face it and to to press on. And Wednesday, we find ourselves right back in the home of Simon the leper. And that woman pours out that ointment all over Jesus. And as we're tempted to see the dollars just being wasted on the floor, maybe, just maybe, in that moment, we ask ourselves, do I worship, do I serve, do I love God and neighbor extravagantly like she is worshiping and loving Jesus? And then on Thursday, we're in that upper room. A bittersweet moment Jesus knows full well what's to come and he sort of tips his cards and he breaks a loaf of bread and he lifts up a cup and he says, this is my body and this is my blood broken and shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And then by Friday, he endures the embarrassment of another parade This one where he carries a cross on his shoulders and the crowds jeer and yell and throw all kinds of invectives at him. 
and it ends with the cross and the tomb. And it's in that moment that we realize that he died for you and for me. So we're left this morning. We're left with this bookended image of Jesus on today, a triumphant entry with love in his eyes, knowing what is to come. And on Friday, a different kind of parade of jeering crowds. But wait, with love in his eyes, knowing what's to come. We go from yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, from singing that to singing on Friday, what wondrous love is this? And so may this week and the weeks to come, may we practice an extravagant love of God and love of neighbor, no matter what comes our way, because of what he has done for us on this day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.